Beloved in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. A few weeks ago, I was, uh, I was at the airport in Phoenix, and I was making my way past that lineup of chauffeur drivers looking for the passenger who had booked them to be picked up. Now, I never pay any attention to them because I'm never one of those who's been so greeted. But on this day, I happened to glance at one of their signs. The chauffeur was dressed all in his black chauffeur's uniform and his black chauffeur's hat, and the sign he held simply said, Jesus. I'm sure it meant Jesus, but it said Jesus to me. I stopped in my tracks, not sure what to do. He looked at me as if to say, are you Jesus? And I shook my head, (laughs) no. And then I thought again, and I thought, maybe I should wait around to see what Jesus looked like. (laughs) But then the pragmatic side of me thought, no. And I I moved on to the car rental desk. Jesus was going to ride in a stretch limo. I was picking up a Ford Focus. When did we see you? When did we see you hungry or naked or thirsty or sick? When did we see Jesus? (laughs) Now, any confirmation student out there knows the answer to that question. Simple, right? Richard Lisher um, writes about how through the last three administrations we have been at war or we have been threatening war. And he says this, Morally, we have learned... Nothing. We know what we can do, but we are ignorant about what we ought to do. Today we have heard, in, as Scott read scripture today for us, we have heard not only what we might, where we might see Jesus, but we have been told what we ought to do. It's a short list. Now, I didn't wait around at the airport to see Jesus, but I meet him here in Matthew 25, and that's clear. But there's a problem, and the problem is this, that we find Jesus in more than one way. As we read through all of chapter 25 of Matthew, we see that this parable is set at the very end of time where Jesus is separating out those who did and who didn't do what they ought to do, and he calls them the sheep and the goats. Now, without getting too much into the whole business about the end of time, we can say this about Matthew 25. Here we see Jesus. Now above the high altar at the National Cathedral in Washington, this scene is portrayed with Jesus sitting on a throne and in his hand he holds the earth. We meet Jesus, the judge, Christ, the king. But this is the deal. We find Jesus in another way, in a very different way. He is there not on high, not on throne, a throne. He is there among the least, the last, and the lost. And so we learn that he is to be found in our relationships with one another in the world in which we live. Not only is Jesus to be found at the end of time, something that we really can know very little about, He is found in the here and now in very real and tangible ways. This parable tells us what will happen in the end. There will will be judgment. It also gives us a strong indication about where and when we see Jesus. What is left, I think, for us to figure out is, how is it that we meet Jesus in the least, 
the last, and the lost. Lisher writes, we know what we can do, but are ignorant of what we ought to do. I would add that we don't really understand what a gift we are given when we are asked to follow. Come, Jesus says, come, you that are blessed by the Father, inherit the kingdom that has been prepared for you from the foundation of the world. To be in relationship with Christ is to be in relationship with one another. It is the free invitation to live in the kingdom of God where all are included, where all are given the blessing of God that they do not deserve. It is a gift that we, that we do what we ought and to be known for doing what we ought. And that is what it means for us to live in the kingdom that God has given us. A few summers ago, I took a trip with a busload of youth to work in the Calgary Drop-In Center in Calgary, Alberta. Now, this is a place that serves, or will provide shelter for 1,100 people and serves meals for 3,500 people every day of the year. One of their services is a used clothing store. Homeless people are able to come in a couple times a week and pick out five pieces of clothing. We were to provide two crews to staff the store, a morning crew for the morning shift and an afternoon crew. Now, when that was announced the night before at our group meeting, one particular girl's arm just shot straight up in the air. This was the girl who had all the clothes. This was the girl who was always dressed just so, the girl who knew all the right stores and all the right labels. This was the girl who knew how to shop. It was her passion. She lived to shop, and she wanted to help in the store the next day. (laughs) We put her on the afternoon shift. Now, there was room in that store for about 15 shoppers at a time, and they had about 15 minutes to work, and we had to let them in and let them out. Our crews were to help the customers find out what uh, what they needed, and I was assigned to be the bouncer, letting people in and out of the store. Those who came in that morning shift were those people who kind of could get up in the morning and get themselves together and and get out. The afternoon crew was a little different. They had a harder time getting it together. Now that afternoon, two brothers showed up at the door. They had obviously been partying pretty hard and for some time. They could hardly walk. They, They needed to lean against each other in order to even make it down the street. When they showed up at the door, One of the brothers looked up at me through bleary eyes, and he said, well, I can't really say what he said, but it was something like, my brother needs some pants. He just crapped himself. I could tell from some distance by the aroma that this was true, and as he walked by, I could see that it was true. So I motioned to shopper girl. (laughs) Can you help these two gentlemen? She rushed over, eager to help, eager to share her expertise, You know, being the wise youth minister that I am, I thought I could teach her a lesson. I thought her values might be challenged by this encounter. But instead, she taught me a lesson. Shopper girl, without blinking an eye, treated these two as if they were Sarah Palin and Neiman Marcus. (laughs) No, that's not true. That's not true. She treated them as if they were Jesus. In the end... It was the highlight of the trip for both of us as we learned not just what we could do, but what it was like to do what we ought to do.
I grew up in a sleepy Minnesota town on the banks of the Mississippi River. When I was in seventh grade, my third period class was physical education. That year, we had eight weeks in which we got to spend time in the swimming pool. Now, you've got to remember something, that it was a very different time in a different place. The deal was when the boys went to the pool, they went attired only in the swimsuit that God had gifted them in at birth. Uh, as you can well imagine, this uh, created a few embarrassing moments for junior high boys. My friend Tom loved to swim. It was his passion. Tom could not wait to get in the water. One morning, he sat in class daydreaming about his next hour in the pool, and when the bell rang, he shot up out of his desk, sprinted down the hallway, went through a quick splash in the shower, and ran out into the swimming pool. The locker room was a brief ten paces from the diving board, and Tom went straight for the diving board. He bounced hard on the end of the diving board. He jumped up in the air. And there at the apex of his dive, it was there that Tom remembered this wasn't third period, it was second period. (laughs) None of his classmates were going to join him that day. But there at the end of the pool was Miss Carpenter's ninth grade girls. (laughs) Tom remembers that it felt as if that moment were frozen in time. He remembers that it took an eternity to get down into that water. He remembers the sound of applause as he made his hasty retreat to the locker room. They saw Tom that day for who he was. And in spite of his best efforts to suppress the news, it continues to this very day when he runs into old classmates who say, Tom, aren't you the one... We know too well how much need is in the world. We know what we can do. Can we learn what we ought to do? Not out of obligation, but out of joy for what we have already received, for the blessing we do not deserve, for the invitation to enter the kingdom that we have not earned. Can we learn what we ought to do and meet Jesus in the world's need? Can we live in this kingdom that God has prepared for us? Frederick Buechner once wrote that the definition of vocation is vocation is when our greatest joy meets the world's greatest need. It is in the greatest need that we meet Jesus. As we join in relationship with him and with one another, we find our greatest joy. We find it in the least, the last, and the lost. How great it would be to stand at the throne and hear those words, aren't you the one? Aren't you the one? The short list leads us to follow so the world can see us for who we are. So the world can see us and say, aren't you the one who fed the hungry? Aren't you the one who clothed the naked? Aren't you the one who visited the prisoner? Aren't you the one who helped the sick? Aren't you the one? Amen.